Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. All right, crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix. And filling in this week for Howard Beck is Rohan Ned Carney. Welcome back to the pod, Rohan. It's been a little while, Chris. Uh, I got to say, it's disconcerting not only how long it's been since I've done the podcast, as you've replaced me with your good friend Howard Beck, but for the people who are obviously only listening to this as an audio file, what you don't see is that Chris Mannix has literally let his hair down right now. Um, I've never seen this before. It is an inc- incredible sight, and I just wish all the listeners right now could see what I'm seeing. Freshly showered. Don't worry. In the next <laughs> hour or so, uh, I'll have gel back in the hair. <laughs> there we the go. Hair. Never publicly. I without, see. I uh, see. The world would just spin it. off its axis if that happened. I'm also, by the way, repping my main red claws right now because the Celtics, in their infinite wisdom, decided to rename their G League team once known as the Maine Red Claws, which I thought was a great name, into the Maine Celtics, which is a terrible name. Like, just, if you've seen the logo, go online. It's just a lobster-looking creature (laughs) in green. Like, it's just green. Like, the Red Claws, I love that brand. I went up to a bunch of Red Claws games. I hung out there. Portland, uh, Maine, great fans for that. Great gear. I bought myself, it like, I paid like 90 bucks for this windbreaker. (laughs) Like, I, I I was very much against Rowan the decision to rename I, the right clause. The listen, rarely are we so on the same page about something. And I know that we have an actual NBA podcast to get to, but I'll just throw out there. Like if your minor league team doesn't have a weird name or a weird logo, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. 
I mean, it's like every Celtic game you go to, you hear Eddie Palladino, the PA guy, say, ladies and gentlemen, the Boston Celtics, which is kind of cool. It doesn't have the same effect when it's, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the main Celtics. It's I mean, true. It's a good point. It's not cool. Not cool. All right. So we have a lot to get to on the show today. But as we often do on the program, we try to bring in somebody smarter than us to discuss one of the biggest topics today. It's the Golden State Warriors, which had their end of season media availability on Monday. A man listening in and writing about the Warriors all season long is Anthony Slater. Does a great job covering the Warriors over at The Athletic. So Slater, let's start here. What did you learn from the Bob Myers, Steve Kerr press conference today. What did I hear today? Um, I heard there was news, you know, I mean, like Steph Curry confirmed had a yeah, hairline fracture in his tailbone, which I thought was interesting. They'd kind of kept that a little bit under wraps. Uh, Clay Thompson, uh, the indications are, and, and we'd kind of heard this, but I mean, he, Bob was pretty clear today that the expectation probably will not be their opening night. Uh, they're going to ease him back into the lineup. You got to remember he tore it because the the schedules are so condensed. He actually tore his Achilles in November and opening night next season will be like what October probably. Um, so he won't even be full a year away from that. But you know the expectation is he will still get a lot of games in next season. Um, and then he pretty forcefully said they do not plan to trade James Wiseman. Um, I do think plans can change if the right players become available. But to me, the biggest takeaway is they're not going to go out there and just feel like they have to get veteran win now help um and they have to use this guy they just took second overall they would only do it if it's like you know a can't miss type deal so what did you think of that that wiseman comment because on one hand like he's not going to leave the door open like you open the door a crack everybody's going to jump right through it and say james wiseman is available that being said you know this team kind of took off after wiseman's minutes were both limited then he went out of the lineup. I mean, how did you see him fit with this team last year? It was complicated. Uh, it, he, it, not great, uh, obviously. I mean, some of that is not necessarily James Wiseman. Some of that is the fact that Steve Kerr runs somewhat of a complicated offense. It's like movement flowing type kind of, I don't, I don't want to call it ancient, but, you know, smart veteran players who played in past times, the Sean Livingston's, the Andre Goodalls, they understand it better than a lot of these younger guys coming up that, you know, want to run spread, pick and roll. They, they you know, James Wiseman kind of wanted to get mid post isolation. Some of the stuff he does need to kind of cut out of his game, um, but he didn't really fit Kerr's offense that well. And also Draymond Green. Uh, in the it's tough to play two non-shooters and it's tough to play Draymond Green now at power forward in the modern NBA and that's somewhat Draymond Green's fault because he's shooting now under 30 percent in like three or four straight seasons from three um, but also he he showed how effective he can be as a, as a center defender and part of the reason they drafted James Watson was the idea that they they needed him to clash against the league's bigs um, but we also just saw the Warriors play the Lakers and basically what felt like a game seven type environment and Draymond was awesome on Anthony Davis and Looney was dependable against like the Andre Drummonds of the world uh, and Kevon Looney will be back next season so you know odd fit with Wiseman I mean in retrospect you go when the LaMelo ball would kind of fit their style of play better and fit the small ball better but you know that choice has been made and I think the main thing that this franchise needs to think about is like you don't just you'd be selling low on Wiseman if you traded him now and are you going to do that for, for example, Marcus Smart, right? He's an expiring deal. I'm sure Boston would be like kind of interested in that type of swap. But do you really want to trade a guy 
at his bottom value who could blossom into something for one year of a of a seventh man. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on Wiseman because I mean this was like his first year playing basketball in like two years. I mean he he didn't play much at Memphis, and then he enters this situation, which was the Bizarro season. Uh, very little practice time, Co- you know, very little opportunity. COVID in training camp misses entire training camp. I mean, like all those things, like maybe he's not the right fit for this team. I just, I feel like you can't really grasp that based on this season. And I do think, you know, they did play well against the Lakers. Draymond against AD works, but there are some giants in the Western Conference. Like if you're going to get through the West, it's going to be Rudy Gobert, uh, DeAndre Ayton, uh, you know, Andre Drummond, if he stays with the Lakers beyond this season, like there's some, you know, Nikola Jokic, I'm forgetting the MVP this year. Like there are some big guys you're going to want. I think I, you know, I, I guess if you're blown away by something that makes a ton of sense and I don't think Marcus Smart makes a ton of sense for them. Like he's, I don't think he's, I think he'd help, but I don't think he's the guy you trade for. Um, unless you're blown away. I think you got to see what you, you have in year two in Wiseman. See if you give him, you know, I know he's, he's injured, but give him an off season to learn the terminology, give him a full training camp, hopefully, you know, give him practice time during the season, and maybe he blends in. The guy's super athletic. He's massive out there on the floor. Like, There's a lot of positives that I think were still kind of unexplored with Wiseman this yeah, year. Yeah, for sure. And it's not like it was a season where it was like, oh, man, this guy looks like a bust. This guy looks like he'll, he, he'll never uh, amount to anything. It's like, no, I mean, he was incredibly raw, didn't understand the defensive terminologies, but suddenly he'd make a move. You're like, was that Giannis that just made that move? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and then he super yeah, quick and he'd shoot threes too. I mean, he's a seven foot one dude who there was a game against the Timberwolves where he came off two pin downs on the left wing and he's shooting like 28 footers and splashing them in. He went like three for three from three. So like the, the, but the reality is, and this is where I guess the, the conflict comes, it's the timelines. I don't really think James Wiseman is going to be a winning player until 2023, 2024. He could blossom into an unbelievable winning player. I also think DeAndre Ayton is 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 a good example we're seeing right now. How lost was he as a big man in year one? Mm-hmm. How sturdy did he look in game one, uh, you know, that Lakers series? So maybe it's maybe it's year two, year three. It's similar development for Wiseman, but Steph Curry is 33. Steph Curry still looks like a 1A on a title team, an engine who who wants to go after it next season. Draymond Green and Klay Thompson are in that similar age bracket. Um, you know, they're going to be pushing to like go basically all the chips in the middle for the next couple seasons. And Wiseman is one of their biggest chips, right? But the, mm-hmm. but it would have to make sense because of what we talked about earlier. You don't just use this monster chip to get a little bit better in your second unit. It's such a weird deal to make too, because he's the first overall or the top three pick rather. And, but he's still on a rookie contract. So it's yeah, the, making the salaries work on a big deal uh, can get complicated as you start thinking about that. Um, the Steph Curry contract extension talks, how complicated do you think they're going to be? Not very. I mean, unless Steph wants to put pressure on, but he's never shown a willingness to do that. It's mega money. Um, You're not buying the LeBron shadow recruitment having an influence on Steph? No, sir. Uh, I think Steph Curry's <laughs> family enjoys the Bay Area. I mean, Steph Curry's pretty transparent. Like he 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 loves the idea of being like the Tim Duncan to to the Warriors. I mean, just um, mm. a forever warrior in a sense. And uh, I think he does like that he's heading into the summer with a little bit of a. a you know, leverage to say, if you don't do what I want, I, you know, I could come out publicly and hint here, hint there, like LeBron's done forever. Um, but the reality is this is, I mean, we're talking the largest contract in NBA history. 
that will take him into his late 30s. And I mean, he's proven that he's going to age really well. I think he'll agree to it this summer because I think the Warriors, first of all, are going to put it on the table. And also, I do think they're going to show him like they're already talking. They're going to try to find veterans. They're going to try to win now, even if that doesn't mean trading wise. Yeah, you know, I would think, you know, the Warriors might have done it anyway, but I would think this season has got to make some people in the Warriors front office relieved that, you know, Steph looks like he's going to age really well. Like maybe he was going to do it anyway, but coming off last season where he had that freak injury that, you know, he sat out for the rest of it, but seeing him play at an MVP level this season, I mean, that's got to make them believe that year 35, 36, even 37 could be pretty good for Steph Curry. Maybe not MVP level, but like all-star level when he gets into his late 30s. Yeah, and that wasn't known coming into the season. You know, he had played five games in 18 months. He had shattered his hand and had said he had nerve damage in his hand. I mean, it it seems so far away now, but, you know, we were coming in like, you know, what kind of Steph Curry are we going to see and what kind of Draymond Green too, but particularly Curry because, you know, you have to have a 1A to win the title and he he looks like it. And then you kind of look at what what Chris Paul is doing, what what LeBron James is doing. And a lot of that is because of their diet, their their off-season training regimen, the way they've kept their body in shape, what 2021 particularly allows you to do to your body if you spend that type of money. And he does that stuff and he is as dedicated as ever. And so much of his skill is going to age forever. Like when will he, you know, he'll, he can make threes at the age of 75 probably. Um, and then as long as he keeps himself in physical condition, he's mastered the game basically. Um, and, you know, you talk to his dad, Del Curry shot threes and made threes till he was 38. I think, I mean, he was a good role <laughs> player to like 36. And I talked to Dell about this and he's like laughing about it. He's like, uh, and I, I didn't do near like Dell will go to Steph's offseason workouts and be like, what are like, whoa, I didn't even know these these machines existed, this type of dietary stuff. And he's saying, man, if I had that, I might have been playing. till I was 40, 41. It's just that type of family. Um, and he has that that type of genes and commitment to the game. I think we're talking about an MVP candidate in the next couple seasons, maybe all star fringe, all star level after that. And. Honestly, if he wanted to, couldn't you see him being at least in an NBA rotation until he's 40, 41, 42 as like a J.J. Redick, essentially? It's not really a perishable skill shooting. I mean, Redick didn't shoot the ball that great this season, but guys like Redick and Kyle Korver and all these sort of, you know, type-specific players, uh, they age well. They can play deep into their careers because there's always going to be a market for them. Now, will Steph Curry want to be like a seventh man when he's age 40? Maybe not. Maybe you've done enough in your career to say, I'm going to walk away and do something else, you know, play professional golf, whatever he decides to ultimately do in the second phase of his life. But he, he's going to play for a long time at, at a pretty high level. So the question then becomes, how do they improve this team? Like, where do you see them making improvements and how much flexibility do they have to do stuff like that? You know, they're, they're pretty transparent today and, and prior and in off record conversations all year that, so Clay tears his Achilles in right, literally draft day, the day they drafted James Wiseman, Clay Thompson towards Achilles that morning. Which you know, imagine being in the war room and you're like, you know, getting ready to draft. Like, uh, you know, you're all star, it's out for the season. Um, that kind of shook them a little bit. They ended up doing the Kelly Oubre move, but they went into free agency searching for veteran help. They knew they needed vets. 
They went after Nick Batum. They went after Marcus Ole. They went after Aaron Baines. They went after Serge Ibaka. They were told they were number two on a bunch of those guys. Now that sounds like, you know, you're, it's kind of sounds a little Celtics-y, right? Like we were number two. We almost got the trade. <laughs> um, but their belief is, you know, Bob Myers said at his presser today, a couple of those guys told him, man, I probably would have come, but now that Clay's injured, you're not going to win a title. I'll go to the Clippers. I'll go to the Lakers. Because the reality is those guys wouldn't have elevated the Warriors to a title. They believe now that Steph Curry has shown he's still Steph Curry. Draymond Green in that Warriors kind of style of play showed in the last 20 games. I think they were 15 and five. They look good. You infuse Clay Thompson back into that. They believe they can convince veterans to come ring chase and that's probably where they're going to get uh their improvements this summer which is those type of guys the batums the gasols i kind of have to dig in and, and look at you know who, who would make sense necessarily but i think i mean you saw it in the warriors lakers playing game west matthews came in as what the 11th 12th man on the lakers and he changed that game and the warriors were sitting there mm -hmm. with an eight-man rotation and guys like seven and eight aren't even as good as wesley matthews so if you just put west mm -hmm. matthews on the warriors they're a better team this season, and they need more of those guys along with – I mean, they need, what, an 80% Clay Thompson by the playoffs at least mm -hmm. next season? And that's the big thing. Like, what does Clay Thompson look like? Yeah, and, and you know, still hitting on these draft picks is critical too. I mean, they'll have a mid-first-round pick probably. We'll see what happens with that Minnesota pick that's been lurking out there. But I think it's a pretty important draft. Not that these guys will be top-end of the lineup players, but – if you're Golden State, you're probably going to need one of those picks if you get two to play next year, right? Yeah, and that's you need to go in knowing that. And if you have the set, you know, mm -hmm. Minnesota, because they had a late run, there was like this idea when they were the worst team in basketball, they might get four or five. Four or five in a draft mm -hmm. that, you know, five premium potential franchise talents are there. That looks very unlikely. I think there's only about a 9% chance that they get five and then there's a 27% chance it's top three. They don't get it at all because it's protected, mm -hmm. but it, the, the, it's most likely going to be around seven, eight, nine ish. And that's where I think you can go after the best ready-made prospect. Is that Davion Mitchell? That's the guy I personally like from Baylor. You saw him in the tournament. I think he's 22, 23. Kind of look like Donovan Mitchell at times out there, but you know, good two way <laughs> guy. You could see plugging in. He might not have the ceiling that, you want you know long term he may not blossom into a superstar but if he is a sixth seventh man uh for the next four seasons that's very good then they also should probably have the 14th pick which it was the benefit of their playing losses they actually jumped back into the lottery and with a three percent chance of jumping up probably not gonna happen the, mm -hmm. the question is though that's two roster spots taken up by guys you don't know even if you draft davion mitchell you don't know for sure that he can come in James Wiseman, who's coming off a meniscus injury. You don't know yet about him. They're at the point they don't want to just have three projects on the roster. So they better really trust their scouting with the first-round pick that not we're going to draft a guy, and he will come in, and he will help right away. Yeah, huge, huge draft uh, for the Warriors. Let me get you out of here with this. Um, Draymond this year was amazing defensively. First team all defense, I thought, this year. And you saw in that Laker game just how he defends, as we mentioned uh, Anthony Davis. How do you think he's going to age over the years? I mean, he's never going to become a shooter. He seems to get worse at that all the time. But, um, you know, in, in the next two or three years, do you think he's did he show you that he's still going to be an elite defensive player at the very least? Yeah. You know, we just did those that 
exit interview with Myers and Kerr, they said like 40 minutes before they were talking to us, they were in the office with Draymond and he's, they're all talking mm-hmm. about, they need more offense. They need to refine the shooting, you know, rediscover that stroke from they, there's this legendary year. It almost feels like a, you know, Moby Dick type story now of the 73 win season. He shot 38% from three and he hit like a hundred something threes. <laughs> and I'm just like, I've covered this team now, however many seasons, five, six, I can't even remember. Um, it's like, I'm done believing this in the post game interviews. I'm done. You know, every year it's like Draymond's <laughs> going to go, you know, he's going to go back in the gym. He's going to refine that 38% from three shot. Like that's not happening. You know, like he is just a sub 30% shooter in an era where man, sub 30% shooters really hurt your offense. Now mm-hmm. every he showed this season, he can still impact in every other way. He was fourth in the NBA in assists this season. Now a lot of that Steph Curry, the off ball stuff, the way they put it in his hands, the way the offense runs. But I mean, he is a genius level level passer and, and, and body mover. I mean, he's out there literally playing traffic cop. People sometimes call it like the traffic cop offense. Um, and then defensively, he is not the, uh, physical force he used to be you don't see him meeting centers at the rim and throwing back shots or like they had the blazers west finals a couple of seasons ago he had 17 blocks and like a four game sweep i mean he was everywhere uh he doesn't do that and his steal and blocks have gone down and i think that's why you don't see him necessarily like he didn't win defensive player of the year this year or at least he won't although he was a finalist um but the brain is like historically smart on on that end and Mm. and they were the top five they were fifth in the nba in defense this season and that's him i mean you know that's wiggins helped and looney's dependable and steph's better than people think and and kerr and ron adams they run a good system but that's draymond green and and i think i thought you saw it all season and as long as he keeps himself in shape which he seems motivated to do i think he can give you two three more really really good defensive seasons but the problem is that's two or three more seasons you have this kind of offensive handcuff he's kind of handcuffed them offensively mm-hmm. and they just they need to understand that and kind of team build around that i guess have they found a consistent andrew wiggins have they, i mean what we saw in like the second half is that what they're kind of expecting moving forward did they unlocked him to a degree of whatever he's going to be yes i think they believe so because the offense isn't that different from minnesota i mean this guy it's Mm. stunning people still when i say it don't even believe it he's he averages 20 points for his career this is a 20 point per game Mm. nba score for his entire career like he's he got numbers in minnesota this season it's not like his point you know his ppg didn't go way up it was about i think it was actually a little bit under he just played a a uh more fitting role on an offense as kind of a side slasher and he's three pointers were much more open because he's playing with Steph Curry. So he shot a career high 38% for three. It's not, I don't think he got necessarily became a better three point shooter. He just got better shots. So I think they believe he could be a 38% three point shooter playing in an offense with Steph Curry. And you're also going to add Clay Thompson next season. I mean, we talk about spacing um, and you know, so, so I think offensively they didn't necessarily unlock a different player. They just could really use him as a small forward. The defense is what, has elevated his value league wide has elevated what they believe he can be. I mean, he was really consistent. You talk to like Ron Adams, who is, you know, straightforward, you know, and, and a defensive mind. And I know you've had conversations with Ron in the past. Like he's not, he's not going to sugarcoat it. Just like, he really thinks Andrew Wiggins is like a top 10 wing defender in the league. And if you watch mm-hmm. them on a nightly basis, okay, they're playing the wizards. He's guarding Bradley Beal pretty well right now. Oh, you know, they're playing the Portland. He's guarding Damian Lillard pretty well. You saw him in the play, and like he he threw a LeBron shot back in his face. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, at one point he was top ten in the NBA in blocks. I think he finished like twentieth or so. But 
probably top five among wing defenders. Like he's good and they believe they've got it to a level where he understands winning team defense better. They say he still closes out a little bit too late. Sometimes he still gets back cut occasionally, but he stopped doing a lot of that. He started rebounding better. He was on a winner, which I think he needed to see. So I believe, yes, that, like the Andrew Wiggins you saw in the last 25 games is who they believe they're going to get moving forward. Is he worth 31 million? No, but is he worth 20? What would he get on the, as a free agent this season? It's hard to say. I mean, you know, the the defense, you're right, is the difference maker with him. And he's always had that potential, right? Like, yeah, I remember Flip Saunders, his rookie year, would always deploy him on the top wing player on the other team just to get him that experience because he believed that the instincts, the reflexes, everything was there if he could just put it all together. But at some point, Minnesota, he stopped doing that. He wasn't, he, he was a much better defensive player with Golden State this year than he was at any point in time his last three years in Minnesota. Something changed. Maybe it is, as you said, winning culture. You know, you're part of uh, a franchise that, you know, values winning or has had winning more than Minnesota did. I mean, you walk in the locker room and Draymond Green is going to roar in your face if you just made two defensive mistakes <laughs> in the first yeah. half. And then Ron Adams is over there telling you what you can be. And, and like, you know, that's... That's a lot different than than the Towns situation, the Wolves situation, mm-hmm. and when oh yeah, I might have let my guy go by, but we have no rim protection over here, and you're not. I mean, you. It's just it is what it is. I, I do think the years with Thibodeau helped, and I remember when Thib- yeah. Thibodeau was actually around the Warriors right when they traded for Wiggins. He hadn't yet taken the Knicks job. It was uh, right before the pandemic hit, um, and he was like he he would praise Wiggins he's a better defender than people think and like you know Thibodeau mm-hmm. he's another of those Ron Adams types so there's belief that yes in this right correct environment Andrew Wiggins is is a very good wing defender which that is mm-hmm. one of the revelations of the season for the Warriors along with Jordan Poole also I think they believe is going to be very good yeah a lot to like about Golden State going into next season. Uh, Slater, know you got a lot going on, man. A lot to write about this week. Check out Anthony's stuff over at The Athletic. Appreciate your time, man. Yep, thanks for having me. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. All right, Rowan, let's jump back into the current games and the current action we're seeing right now. Let's start out in LA where you are. Uh, Lakers and Clippers both down one game in their respective series. Lakers lose to Phoenix in Phoenix in their home opener uh, and the Clippers fall to the Mavericks uh, in LA of all places in their first game. So if you look at these two teams and the level of concern you have for both of them, where's the higher level for concern with the Lakers or with the Clippers? I'm not too concerned about the Lakers just now only because I, you know, that was always going to be a tough series. I still think the Lakers are the more talented team. And I still think the Lakers have a trump card to play against the Suns and that we saw Frank Vogel do this last year too. And I want to give a lot of credit to Frank because I think he has done a good job of adjusting. I know that he's managing a lot more than just a basketball team there. And I I think it's safe to say certain promises were made to Andre Drummond that at some point the Lakers are just going to play Anthony Davis at the five and things are going to be different. My higher level of concern is for the Clippers. They lost a home game. Uh, they The guys that they brought in, whether it's Serge Ibaka, Rajon Rondo, it's not that they played poorly, but... Uh, did they make the difference that those guys were brought in for? You know, it was disconcerting to me to watch them play defense in the fourth quarter and neither Kawhi nor PG are guarding Luka. And obviously it's like, you know, you're trying to play against them getting switched off, et cetera. Like there are reasons for it from a team defense perspective why you're not just sticking Kawhi on Luka and saying, okay, that's the answer. But I just think you have to be concerned if you're the Clippers because of A, this team has never had a sense of continuity. I mean, even Ibaka was missing, you know, for much of this uh, regular season down the stretch. Uh, they had the playoff flame out last year. Um, Kawhi and PG have looked great together at times during the regular season, but have, have never looked like an unstoppable duo in the playoffs. And Luca's just the kind of guy who can be the best player in that series. So I think the concern has to be higher for the Clippers. Yeah, I'm with you on the Clippers. And, if you'll allow me to start some kind of intra-squad podcast war here, <laughs> shout out to Michael Pena, who has been all in on the Clippers this season, <laughs> believes they will be NBA champions. Michael, I love you. You're smart. I love your writing. You are batshit crazy for buying all the way in on the Clippers right now. I'm sorry. Like, what team that has championship aspirations tanks the last game of the season to avoid the Lakers in the second round. What team does that? And now you've got a team going up against the Mavericks, and the Mavericks are looking at them like, we're not afraid of you. Why should we be? Last season, we came close to beating you, and we had no Chris Porzingis, and we had Luka Doncic hurt at the end of that series. So what? the Mavericks look at themselves and say, we're better. Porzingis is healthy. Tim Hardaway Jr. is a better player. Jalen Brunson has been a candidate for sixth man all season long. Luka, top five player in the NBA, at least on my ballot. Mavericks looking around going like, everybody's picking this team? They're not afraid of them. Nobody's afraid of the Clippers. Nobody is. And I don't know whose fault that is. Like, is it just that Paul George is not a, a, a playoff performer? Is it Kawhi needs 
a Tim Duncan or a Kyle Lowry alongside him to be kind of that heart and soul grit guy for your team? Is it they need more shooting? I don't know what the, the problem is with the Clippers, but they do not strike fear in the hearts of opponents. They just don't. The Lakers do, and that's largely because of LeBron, uh, but the Clippers are not on that level. So we talked about this on Crossover TV. Like Game two, this is it for the Clippers. This is their season right now. They are not winning that, that team with that lack of mental toughness. And by the way, me bringing up the mental toughness, Kawhi did it first. Kawhi did at the end of the season. He said, it's all about what's between our ears. It's all about the mental game. He believed in the talent, but do they have the mental toughness? They're not coming back down 2-0. Not going to happen. So for the Clippers, this is your season right here. And this could be the start of maybe a complete overhaul of that team if they don't win uh, this game too. I just want to put this out there. There is going to be a massive course correction on Kawhi Leonard's playoff record, uh, playoff prowess, uh, if they somehow lose this series. I don't know if you ever, like, basically anytime there's a tweet about LeBron on the internet, the first reply is always like, this is why every single one of LeBron's championships are fake. And it's like a dumb meme. But, like, people are going to start doing that with Kawhi. And I, honestly, he's well he's welcoming some criticism with the way he's been outplayed by other opponents the last couple of playoffs. I mean, he skated. You know, Paul George gets a lot, the, the most of the criticism in L.A. Kawhi absolutely skated on what was a dreadful Game 7 performance last year against the Nuggets. Him and J- Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic punked Kawhi Leonard in that game, okay? He was maybe the third best player. And that, that's was that was that the side of the backboard game for Paul George? That was the was side that, of the backboard. That was the side game. of the backboard. That, that's probably why. I mean, the yeah. visuals kind of right. crushed him. But, but I'm not I'm I, with you actually on that yeah. one. I'm with you. And we're seeing it, you know, game one. I, I he has the great dunk. Obviously, he's a great player, but he gets outplayed by Luca. I don't think the Clippers in their wildest dreams ever thought Kawhi would be getting outplayed in playoff games uh by these up and coming guys this quickly. I, I mean, I think they would have understood LeBron, but but this, you know. At some point, there has to be some criticism of Kawhi also and his inability to kind of take over these games, put his stamp on these series. You know, obviously that that Nugget series is crazy because it's like they were good enough to go up 3-1, but those last couple games, they were getting boat race out of the gym. That game mm-hmm. seven, it was – I've never seen a team like that get blown out in that kind of fashion in a game seven before. So I do think that the Clippers need this. And Kawhi, honestly, even with his two rings, I think he needs this a little bit because – you know, this isn't LeBron and KD, you know, and that's not taking away from the kind of guys Jokic and Doncic are, but they shouldn't be doing this to Kawhi at this stage in their career. So he needs this as badly as the team needs. I'm sorry. We just can't be shocked by this with the Clippers. I mean, like, I'm just not here for, well, Ty Lue's the coach now. So that is a new layer to it. Rondo's on the team. That's a new layer to it. This is the Clippers. Like, and Kawhi and Paul George and that group is not responsible for what happened in 2015, or I think it was 2015 when they blew a 3-1 series lead as well. But this team did not show mental toughness in that series against Denver. You're going to have to show me mental toughness for me to believe that you're a championship-level group. And look, Kawhi, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Like, everybody keeps saying, no, 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 it's fait accompli that he resigns with the Clippers. He came back to Southern California because he wants to spend the rest of his career there. If this team gets beat in the first round, you're telling me there's not at least a chance that Kawhi walks? Come on. Let, let's be real. Hey, let's stop with let's stop drinking the Kool-Aid on that one. Like there's there are teams out there. Like I think Miami wouldn't find a way to make a run at Kawhi Leonard. I don't care what their cap situation is right now. They'd find a way to get the money needed to sign Kawhi Leonard. So 
I, you know, this this is everything for the uh, for the Clippers. If they lose, Kawhi could leave, and then what are they left with? They don't have draft picks. They traded them all away. They'll have Paul George and Lee Jenkins. That's it. Uh, Jenkins. <laughs> I mean, what what else? <laughs> no, it's a good point. I mean, they clearly. I think I think they're the Paul George extension. People were confused by that. That had to be some kind of hedge against Kawhi because I don't think they know what Kawhi is going to do until the last second. You know. At least yeah, but you've Jordan. seen this with teams like Rowan. You've seen this with teams where it's like you just you go all in with them. Like the Bucks with Drew Holiday. Like that's looking pretty good right now. Drew Holiday had a great game one uh, for Milwaukee, but like they had no choice. It's like they they gave away all their assets to get Drew Holiday, so they had to make sure he didn't hit free agency and re-sign with that team. Same thing with Paul George. They gave away the store to get Paul George. You could certainly make an argument they'd be in a better position right now if they still had Shea Gildas Alexander and all their draft capital for years to come. Not a knock on Paul George, but sometimes championship teams are built different ways. Look at Kawhi. Like, that wasn't a superstar laden team. It was Kawhi is the superstar in Toronto. And, you know, good players, a rising Siakam, a veteran all star level guy in Kyle Lowry. Championship teams are not necessarily built just by a few star players being thrust together. Sometimes you need it's a so team. true. It is also just crazy to think about because, I, I mean, I, I remember the night when it happened in the middle of the night and that trade happened. It really felt like this team was – remember all the talk was, wow, the Clippers kept their depth. They kept all these great players, and they've now added Kawhi and Paul George. I would have never imagined we're here two years later. I mean, obviously, listen, it's a long series. They could end up winning in five. Who knows? They're, they are a talented team, but the the number of questions they've invited – after the overwhelming favorites they appeared to be. I was there on opening night when they beat the Lakers, and the Lakers looked like they weren't going to have an answer for them last year. Uh, it's crazy wh- where the Clippers are now compared to where they started. Yeah, you're right. They could win this series in five, but game two, which is when most people be listening to this podcast, right before game two, that's everything. That's the ball game right there. You can't understate that enough. They have to win game two. All right, let's talk about the Pacers for a second. Kevin Pritchard the general manager of Indiana. He had his end-of-season media availability as well, and he did not commit to bringing head coach Nate Bjorken back to the team next year. Now, we've all kind of followed the issues uh, the coaches had with that team. You know, it clearly comes down to communication. Like Pritchard said that Bjorken is an excellent basketball mind but doesn't have the communication skills that you need to to be a successful head coach. Now, when you say stuff like that, I'm not sure how you bring the coach back. Like it's 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 sort of a weird like he didn't say the coach was done, but it certainly sounded like the Pacers will at the very least search the market and see what's out there available to them. So I don't know how you feel about the future of Nate Bjork in, in Indiana after that Presseville. I think he's done. And that was to say he, you know, it was one thing if it was like he didn't commit, but you know, some of the quotes coming out of there, like, we'll look at everything. Like, I, we're not going to say he's coming back. Like, I just don't think you can put your head coach in that position and then still expect him to have the respect of the locker room. I mean, obviously, there were so many reports coming out. It's funny. I, I spoke to Nate for a story I wrote on Karis LeVert and his comeback from the, the kidney surgery. And, yeah, like, you could tell he's a really sharp basketball mind. I mean, I was asking him about – you know, what Karis LeVert did against uh, the Raptors in their playoff series last year in the bubble. And like, he was quick, like on top of it, breaking all the things down that, you know, he's like, when Karis did this, we tried to counter with this defensive strategy, like recalled it immediately. Like you can tell he's sharp, but you know, like I touched on with Frank Vogel, for example, that's only a part of the job. Like you have to know to manage the egos, uh, you know, 
the rotations, everything. And the Pacers weirdly do have a lot of cooks in the kitchen right now. Uh, I think Malcolm Brogdon was taking a step up. Uh, Sabonis is someone who is an all-star. Uh, Karis Levert obviously trying to head in that direction. So, you know, it's it's not as simple as let's just get the X's and O's guys in here to figure this out. Like, there's a level of management that needs to go on with that team. Uh, obviously, there was a lot going on with TJ Warren. I, I think conflicting reports is the terrible way to put it. Like, who knows what he was really feeling? But I, I don't think Indiana can afford to to miss on this coaching search because they they have a pretty talented roster uh, between Warren, Turner, Sabonis, uh, Brogdon, and Lavert. That, that's a a really good group of players right there. So I just would be shocked if he came back from the way that that press conference went. Like. Even if you have to lie publicly, you lie publicly. I don't think that you can just come out and be like so wishy-washy on your coach and expect him to come back. It was a wishy-washy position that Kevin Pritchard uh, took, which just tells me that they're seriously considering replacing Nate. Now, Ryan McDonough, the former Suns GM, made this point on Twitter, and I agree with him, that Indiana is not going to lavish a lot of money on a head coach. So... If you're looking at the Pacers and saying, well, let's go search the market for that top-of-the-line guy. Let's try to lure a top guy from the college ranks. Indiana's not really the team that's going to do that. I mean, Nate was one of those rising assisting coaches on the Toronto staff, which, by the way, those guys deserve opportunities. So if there's somebody like that that the Pacers fall in love with, and I'm, I'm not I'm kind of blanking on who that might be oh, at this point, like, but they're a guy. Yeah, a Dan Craig. Well, I'll just throw one out there at the Clippers. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot yeah. of, of qualified assistant coaches right. that are out there. If there's somebody they fall in love with, uh, then I could see them going in that direction. But don't expect Indiana to go big ticket shopping. It's just not going to happen. Also, please, people on Twitter, stop suggesting that they trade like a first-round pick for Brad Stevens. That's not going <laughs> to happen either. Can we, can we please stop trying to run Brad Stevens out of Boston? That is not going to happen. Um, let's look back for a second, Rohan, on the playoff debuts of Devin Booker and Trey Young. Devin Booker has a brilliant performance against the Lakers in helping Phoenix win game one, a performance I think that gets magnified by the fact that he did it with Chris Paul out of the lineup for a stretch, and then basically playing with one arm mm-hmm. for the uh, the second half of that game. Meanwhile, Trey Young, in his playoff debut, goes to Madison Square Garden, the most hostile of hostile environments you can ask for, and nails the game winner to beat the Knicks, a team that, regardless of what you think of them overall, had the top defense in the NBA during the regular season. So, as you look at these two guys, more impressive playoff debut. Who you got? Uh, they were both great. I don't want to take away from either guy. I, I think I was personally a little bit more impressed by Booker only because of the, the talent on the floor in that game between AD. Uh, you mentioned Chris Paul, even though he was hampered by the injury, obviously LeBron, I, I thought Devin Booker outplayed all those guys. Uh, obviously there's been so much, I think a little bit more so than Trey young only because he's a little bit earlier in his career. Uh, there was so much, you know, the last few years with Booker, what does this guy mean in the playoffs? Can you do anything with him on your team? Now, you know, I think Chris came in and legitimized the, the whole roster in a way that that Devin could not himself. But the fact that he thrived like that uh, in a playoff game, and I thought played well on both ends of the floor. It wasn't like, you know, the Lakers were like, let's hunt Devin Booker every time down the floor and we're going to get great offense out of it. Uh, that wasn't the case either. The fact that he could hold up and, like you said, take over when, you know, Chris Wall doesn't have those counting stats, but, but he's the the person running the show there. Uh, the fact that Devin Booker could take over the way he did and 
just outshine, you know, other legends. I, I think that's what put him over the top for me. Yeah, 50% from the floor, 43% from three, 34 points, eight assists, seven rebounds, five for six from the free throw line. The only knock on him you could say is six turnovers, but that's kind of what happens when you play 45 minutes with a ball in your hand uh, most of the time. So no issue with anything that Devin Booker did in that game. I just, I mean, just to go into MSG, and I know it's, you know, we're not talking about the Knicks as true title contenders this year, but to go into MSG and play like that was amazing. And I was watching the uh, halftime interview that Trey Young did with the local TV affiliate at that game. And you could see it and hear it in his voice that he was anxious. He was jittery. Like this was as intimidating as we kind of thought it would, would be going into it. But then he comes out in the second half and is just awesome. And then when they need him down the stretch, he makes that big shot with less than a second to go. And this was a game where, you know, Trey Young and the Hawks easily could have folded. Like the Knicks made like five or six runs at them, uh, took a lead, I believe briefly uh, in that game. And, the Hawks just kept coming, and they kept coming back, and that to me is uh, a real tribute to Trey Young. I mean, he really is Rohan, like you know, one three-point game winner and a Spike Lee stare away from being a true New York villain. Like he's right there on the precipice. After the game, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, nobody's cheering now, are you? Nobody's yelling now. All quiet out there on the floor." I mean, he's embracing this villain role, and I love that moxie with him. I mean, you know, Trey Young is always going to get paired to Luka Doncic because of that draft. And look, Trey probably is not going to be the level of player that Luka is. But what we saw in these playoffs, at least in game one, it's a pretty strong sign that he's going to be really good for this team. Yeah, I, I have to work in my contractual Dwayne Wade uh, mention in this podcast. There right? we go. But I believe I, believe I saw today that, that him and Trey are the only people to hit uh, a go-ahead or game-winning shot with under two seconds left in their first playoff game. And that's pretty rarefied air for Trey. I I do want to follow up on that point that you mentioned. Like it's impossible to separate him from Doncic, which is kind of really unfair to Trey at this point. He had nothing to do with that, but a game like that game one against the Knicks is all that matters right now. You know, can he survive in a playoff game? Obviously he was being targeted defensively. It was a little bit of an issue, uh, but the fact that he could have the game that he did take control down the stretch. I mean, it wasn't just obviously the, the game winner is going to get, all the play, but I mean, some of the passes he was making, the reads out of the pick and roll, finding guys uh, in the corners, kind of taking advantage of the Knicks defense was really impressive. I want to ask you one question, by the way. How do you feel about the Knicks? I mean, in what way? I just, listen, they've had a good season, but sometimes I'm watching them and I'm like, this team had nine months off between last year and this year. And am I really supposed to get excited or thrilled about the future when so much of it is hinging on a Julius Randall, keeping this up B like Alec Burks and Todd Gibson being a part of your playoff rotation. I know that they're, they are trying to build something quickly. He's a great young player. Same for RJ Barrett, but sometimes I watch them and I I'm worried that some people are getting their hopes up a little bit too much about this specific team. Yeah, but that's a, a conversation for next year, right? Like fair. this year, is a stunning overachievement. Yeah. You know, Tom Thibodeau got my vote for coach of the year and he should win going away. No disrespect to Monty Williams, Quinn Snyder, any of those other great coaches, but Tom Thibodeau was brilliant this year. They're the number one defensive team in the league. And do they have, they don't have anybody you would consider an all defensive player. Like Reggie yeah. Bullock, it was pretty good for them this year, but 
I didn't vote for anybody on that Knicks team for all defense. So credit to Tom Thibodeau for doing that. What's they're going to need to do going forward is to keep hitting on these draft picks. Like, I'm not sure what Obi Toppin is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had he played sporadically and somewhat decently in that playoff opener, but I mean, quickly has been the better rookie yeah. of the two this year. It's a good thing they hit on quickly because if he was just Obi Toppin, you'd be like, oh crap, did we just <laughs> blow a top ten pick on a guy that you know, was an overachiever in college? You know, one of those older college players, and we thought we'd uh, strike gold on it. So you got to keep hitting on those picks. Barrett was a hit. He's never going to be Zion or Ja Morant. But I encourage people, go look at the rest of that draft. They didn't miss on anybody else. Like, R.J. Barrett is by far the best player after that. So, R.J. Barrett, he can play. He's only going to get better. Quickly showed great moxie in that game. Like, showed like he belonged yeah. early he in game one. He needs to play so, more. They need to find a way to get him on the floor more, if anything. I know. I know. Yeah. Problem is, like, you know, Tibbs just trusts Derrick Rose. Yeah, so, and Rose so is much. playing well for him, yeah. Rose is oh, good. It's just, Rose is- it's just hilarious seeing Tibbs be like, all right, let, like, let's get Rose and Gibson. Like Rose and Taj Gibson. <laughs> yeah. Like, just the guys he trusts out there yeah. in critical moments. I just, look, they're not, this is not a team that you say, all right, they're the fourth seed this year. They should be the one seed next year. Right, it's right. not going to be that type of leap. It's It could be four seed this year, four or five seed next year. But as long as they keep growing these guys, you're eventually going to get players to sign there. I mean, we talked about, you know, I talked with Slater, rather, about kind of getting the ring chasers. Knicks aren't going to get ring chasers, but you're going to get people that want to play at the Garden and want to live in New York and want that lifestyle. They just got to keep winning, keep being successful. And Leon Rose and his staff, and they've done a pretty good job so far. I mean, drafting quickly was, was savvy. If they keep hitting on these picks... Uh, they're going to be okay. Fair enough. All right. Yeah. I just, it was just a lot of Alec Burks. And I was like, <laughs> you know, just how excited can I, I needed really get him? No, nah, yeah, yeah, look, this, again, again, this is, this is gravy. This is yeah. icing on the cake. Yeah. If you're the Knicks, no matter what happens in this series, you've had an unbelievable season. Let me finish with this row on uh, ESPN reported that the NBA is going to revisit the mid season tournament. This has been something Adam silver has been for, for a long time. Um, It's never really gained traction amongst the majority of the NBA owners. Apparently, they're going to take another swing at it going into next season. I don't love the idea of a midseason tournament because I don't really see the point of it. The play-in tournament had a point, and it was effective. It reduced significantly the amount of teams tanking. It made the last month or so of the regular season competitive and made the basketball better because a number of teams, even the ones that didn't make the playoffs, were chasing that number 10 seed, whether it was Sacramento or New Orleans or somebody else. So the play-in tournament makes sense. Mid-season tournament, I don't get it. You, what are you going to do? Like like the, the February classic, like where you're going to get the star players really invested in that? Like star players are going to say, look, they're going to do this little mid-season tournament. I don't know, does it count in the standings? Because if it doesn't, I'm taking it off. <laughs> You're not going to see LeBron playing 40-plus minutes to win the midseason classic. It's just not going to happen. And the idea of incentivizing it, which I know is out there, paying players seven figures to, uh, to, to for the winning team, A, I don't believe it because the NBA is yet to incentivize the dunk contest, which I think should come first when it comes to incentivizing anything. And B... As crazy as it sounds, like to these top level guys, does a million dollars mean anything? I mean, honestly, like would would they prefer to rest and get their bodies right for the real playoffs rather than chase a faux championship for a million dollars? So I, I, I think it's kind of dumb and I hope the governors don't uh 
don't approve it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, even the players, Jamal Murray, I think, tweeted, like, we don't need this. I sympathize with the NBA from this regard in that I think they're seeing over the years that that it's getting harder and harder to make people care about the regular season. That's fans and players. I think obviously they've taken all the conversation about ratings to heart, which ultimately don't really matter to me, but I can understand why for the league it's considered a problem. A play in turn or, or a, a midseason tournament is not going to goose ratings. It's not yeah, the play in tournament does because right. you know it's meaningful, done, impactful. It's feel. I agree. I, I just think that they're looking for a way to get people to care about something different, you know, introduce some kind of sense of urgency. You know, I've talked about this a lot this year, but the Nets, I think, like are a team that the NBA has to fear on some level if they can win a championship with their main guys only playing eight games together during the regular season. And I know it sounds hyperbolic, but you know, what is to stop a team from just playing their guys 20 games a year or whatever, Uh, you know, so I can understand why the league is like, we just need something. We just need some kind of counterbalance to the way that over years now we've noticed guys, you know, LeBron in Cleveland was famous for it, but was not playing as hardest during the regular season. I, I know that he might refute that or say he wants more MVPs, but there's a reason why those Cavs teams were like 29th in defense and then would make the finals. It's because, their guys would just go to another level during the playoffs. So I don't think that the midseason tournament as presently constructed or what's being talked about right now is necessarily a good idea, but I, I can understand the NBA's objective here, which is just how do we get more one and done games, you know, built in the schedule? How do we just get more urgency in here? What can we do to make people care about this? Because, you know, right now the, the product, I think that it has suffered during the regular season I mean, and part of that issue, frankly, is that they play too many games and that that would be the obvious one to to look at, but you know, they don't want to because they're going to lose all the gate revenue and TV money, et cetera. But they're clearly looking for some kind of solution. Yeah. What made the play in tournaments so successful was that it had a playoff like atmosphere. You're just not going to convince me that whatever they're going to call a play in tournament champion is going to create that type of energy i mean it to me it'll probably resemble more of like a bunch of all-star games yeah maybe a little bit better but i don't think it'll be high level basketball and then at which point you're wondering what are we doing here so it's adam silver's thing like he he wants to get it done because he believes it and adam silver is a lot smarter than i am when it comes to what resonates with nba fans I, i will say for what it's worth you know the idea of like just put 32 teams in a single elimination tournament and see what happens Sounds fun on some level. If you can get the players to care about it, I don't know. Uh, maybe, you know, it gives you some kind of postseason incentive as opposed to just money. And maybe that's how you get, you know, get the intrigue of a guy like LeBron. Maybe you start asking about playoff buys or something like that if you win the tournament. But, you know, yeah, I then, think, then you start goofing up the regular season. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you know, then it gets a little. Where does it end? Bizarre. Yeah. But, it, it but if you, ends, yeah. if you just told me we're putting all every NBA team in a single elimination tournament, uh, yeah, I'd want to watch that. I would want to watch that. All right. Rowan, great job filling in this week. Appreciate it. Check out all of Rowan's stuff over at SI.com. Follow him on Twitter at Rowan Ned Carney. Good stuff, my friend. And uh, rest in peace, Red Claws. <laughs> I'm with you, fellas. <laughs> 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.